Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. I want to thank you all for joining us, and if you were uh, tracking with us, if you've been listening to the podcast recently, you know that uh, I've been absent. My voice had a little bit of a struggle, and I appreciate everybody who has been reaching out and uh, sharing your concerns. At the time of this recording, uh, it's the end of June 2000, or excuse me, end of July 2020. Uh, I've regained my voice. Things are relatively back back to normal. Um, I'm really testing it out, and uh, the doctors are allowing me to do a little bit more extended talking and speaking. So I'm glad to be back with you. Thank you guys who've been praying and reaching out and uh, asking about my health. Uh, We're confident that we've got a pretty good idea of what happened. Um, The theory right now is that I had a ruptured ligament in my neck um, that affected my voice. Uh, my voice box is fine. My vocal cords are fine. Uh, praise the Lord. And uh, we're almost back to full strength. So I'm glad to be back on the PeaceWorks podcast and thrilled that you were able to join us. Hey, you know, one thing I wanted to let you know before we get into today's content is to remind you of the resources that are available over at chrismoles.org. chrismoles.org. Um, the blog is up. Of course, you can access the podcast there if you're not already listening through Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Uh, also, that's where you can access PeaceWorks University, which is our online membership site. And I know a lot of you guys that are new to the podcast uh, have been asking for more resources. PeaceWorks University is the place to find those. Uh, we we have an annual and a monthly subscription model, the annual subscription is currently $200 for the year or $20 a month gets you access to what I believe is the most robust collection of gospel-centered resources on domestic violence prevention and intervention. You can find out more about PeaceWorks University by clicking the uh, PeaceWorks University information on the homepage uh, at chrismoles.org, chrismoles.org. All right, so let's jump right into today's topic. I don't want to keep you too long today, but I I do have just some thoughts uh, I want to talk about when it comes to what causes abuse. I I bring this up because it it is a relatively simple conversation, but I think when you're confronted with the evils and um, the complexities of an abusive relationship, one of the temptations is to look for complex causes. And what I mean by that is Uh, there will be a plethora of excuses, both from abusers, but then also reasonably so, understandably so, from victims who want to try to find um, rationale for why someone uh, who claims to love them would would treat them like this. And I just want to highlight a couple of them, and then I really want to hone in on two that have been resurfacing again and uh, just try to kind of highlight my concerns with those and then give you an alternative. I mean, obviously, as you're talking about why do people uh, oppress other people, why do they abuse other people, some of the more common 
uh, reasons that come up are things like trauma or anger um, or um, the whole substance abuse argument. And, and I just want to quickly walk through those as just a general. Um, let, let's start with trauma. I do find that uh, individuals who abuse many times, especially on the criminal level, I think that's been substantiated if you follow any of the research, that a lot of the folks who uh, abuse on the criminal level do tend to have um, uh, past trauma. In fact, you'll find a lot of the research, if you're familiar with the ACEs score, the Adverse Childhood Experiences uh, test, uh, a lot of criminal abusers, individuals who are um, convicted of domestic violence or abuse crimes, that will often score high on the ACEs. They will have a high ACEs score. I think it's somewhere in the 65 to 70%. Now, that doesn't explain everything, obviously, and certainly it's not a indication that trauma causes abuse because in the same breath, there are many people who've experienced adverse childhood experiences that do not abuse. At the end of the day, as you pull the rope and you think through, especially the area of trauma, uh, abuse is still a choice. It's a choice that an abuser makes um, to violate, demean, or destroy uh, their partner. You know, I mentioned anger as well, and if you've heard me before, you know that uh, anger is not a cause of abuse. In fact, for the most part, uh, anger isn't even the primary emotion that individuals are experiencing. Uh, fear is much more likely uh, to be part of the equation. And sometimes anger will be cited as if someone needs anger management. But again, the research would show that anger management does little to affect the uh, long-term abuse. Uh, in fact, it only addresses a part of the problem, not the cause of the problem. I think I mentioned substance abuses too, and, and as you know or have heard me say, you know, substances do not cause abuse. In fact, for the most part, we believe that substances reveal one's heart. They do not change one's heart. In other words, they change our judgment, not our values. And so substances are normally only contributing to abuse in so much as they reduce one's inhibitions, giving them permission to act on what they really believe and what they really feel. Um, one, one other thing that we'll talk about briefly is mental illness, and I've covered that in the past quite extensively, I believe, and there's no indication uh, that mental illness contributes to abuse, in large part because domestic abuse in particular is one person targeting another. And certainly there are aspects of um, mental illness such as schizophrenia or aspects of um, bipolar one, for instance, or manic episodes uh, in which individuals uh, will harm others uh, due to paranoia or other factors, but it's rarely a targeted event. And so abuse is almost universally from an expertise position considered a choice always a choice of an individual choosing to demean, destroy, harm another. And I think it's important uh, to have that, that mindset, that idea in mind. And again, we're talking about individuals with power again. Now, granted, there are individuals who will act violently towards others that may be experiencing adverse effects of trauma, etc. But we're talking about individuals who use power over others. And it is, um, in that regard, a choice. Well, why do I bring that up? I bring it up because 
two principles have been making a comeback, two theories associated with batterer intervention uh, that I think have been somewhat frustrating for individuals who are in the work. Uh, most of these time, most of the time, these theories are coming from outside of intervention theory, outside of practitioners' uh, help. They're, they're usually coming from a more therapeutic background. And that's not meant to be, you know, throwing stones or anything. It's just they keep raising their, their head, as it were. And we just don't see that necessarily in the day-to-day -day practical work uh, with abusers. And they go hand-in-hand. Hand. That's why I want to bring them up today. And it's the idea that abuse is caused by, one, low self-esteem, or two, insecurity. And these seem to be making a comeback um, as individuals are kind of promoting this idea that, you know, what's really at work in the heart of an abuser is low self-esteem. Let's start there because I think the opposite is actually true. Um, let, let's just tackle that for a minute. So think through that, that whole thought process. An individual is battering they're using power to control. They're demanding of others because they feel poorly about themselves. The, the opposite seems to be the true truth in almost every case that I've worked, and that is that they have a very high view of self. The offense, the feelings of harm and hurt, you know, that other people are not living up to their high expectations. Other people are not valuing themselves the way they value themselves. It usually expresses itself uh, in a couple ways. One of the ways we articulate it to guys is when, when we encounter it, we might say, you know, your viewpoint seems to be saying this. It says, I'm, I'm special, right? Um, therefore, I deserve to be treated well uh, according to my desires, what I want. Or you're saying, I'm special. I deserve to be given more leniency. So it kind of goes on a spectrum, meaning uh, I feel really, really good about myself. I feel really, really high on myself. You should feel that way too. I'm awesome. You should recognize it. Or I'm awful. You should treat me different. I'm, I'm loathing myself. You should treat me different. They both are coming from the same heart. I hope uh, you're getting what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm spelling out here, is that it's really not a low view of self that's producing battering. It's almost always a high view of self that others should be responding to me because of how great I am or others should be helping me because of the losses and things in my life. It all revolves around who? Me. It's one of the reasons why we talk about developing a high esteem for Christ uh, in interventions and especially among individuals who claim to be believers. If Christ is central, then that redefines your identity, your purpose, um, your mission, and also how you relate to others. Unfortunately, if you are central, whether in the positive or the negative, it's still elevating you to the place of God, to the place of um, needing others and so, or, or demanding of others. And so this, this notion that batterers really suffer from low self-esteem, I think is only observing the patterns or tactics of abusers who tend to play on the emotions of others. Can I say that again? I think what's really being seen when we ascribe the low self-esteem model is we're actually seeing the tactics of abusers who tend to use those to prey on the emotions of others. And so this uh, pity party, feel sorry for me, I'm really the victim, 
is not evidence of a low self view. It's actually the evidence of a high self view and would be more akin to the disappointment of not being treated the way I think I should be treated. I know that might sound like a bold statement, but it seems to be far more prevalent in the work that we do than an actual low self view. You know, the Apostle Paul tells believers not to think more highly of themselves than they ought. Um, now, that doesn't mean that we have no thoughts of self. We actually do um, you know, think about ourselves. We actually do have some level of self-worth. But when it's elevated, right, as Paul's saying, more highly than we ought, um, we run the risk of demeaning and demanding. That's why in Philippians 2, he calls us to the mind of Christ, right, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but became humble. And so humility is really the antithesis, the, the antidote, the, the response to this notion of low self-esteem among batterers because really what we're dealing with is, are you ready? Pride. Pride that manifests itself in either this self-loving or self-loathing, but the goal remains the same. I hope this is making sense. The second, it's really like the different sides of the same coin is the thought that individuals who batter, who abuse, who coerce and control uh, are actually functioning out of their insecurity. I will hear this quite a bit, that insecurity is really the cause of domestic abuse. The, the difficulty, we, difficulty with that is that insecurity is often, from a biblical perspective, fear based in pride. And so the questions that we're asking when fear becomes the primary emotional motivator for men in particular who batter, I think one of the questions we have to ask are what are we afraid of and what's that fear based in? Now, let me try to give you some examples. Insecurity is often, in particular, among this population, based in pride. What are some of the things that we're afraid of? I'm afraid of losing control. Control of my partner, control of uh, my finances, control of the outcomes, control of my marriage. I'm afraid of being found out, being found out for the wickedness that I do, being exposed, being discovered. What else am I afraid of? Uh, I'm, I'm afraid of not being able to maintain this level of control. Do you see what I'm getting at? So the fear, once you pull the rope, the fear is not uh, things such as, you know, uh, that, that we might call typical insecurity. It's often insecurity based in the abuse itself. In fact, Ellen Pence put it this way. She said, I do not believe that batterers batter because they're insecure. I believe they're insecure because they batter. So now think about that for just a second. Let's say, uh, if you can, put yourself in the life of an abuser for just a second, in a place where you've been using power and control, where You've been tightening your grip over years through emotional, psychological, mental, or physical abuse, sexual abuse. Would you not, in that type of um, existence, feel insecure? I mean, think about it. If you're exercising all of this effort, all of this energy to control another person, would that not produce insecurity in yourselves? Because your kingdom, your, your world that you're created is created on sinking sand. It's on a shaky foundation because individuals will attempt to escape, to seek freedom, to resist. 
others around you will attempt to hold you accountable, to step in, to help those that are in need. There is a great deal of insecurity because what you're doing is so wrong. So I want to reiterate that, <clears throat> excuse me, that insecurity is not causing the abuse. Abuse is actually amplifying and magnifying the insecurity. Again, I hope this is making sense because there is a movement, again, there's a small swell that happens every so often as we're trying to analyze and recognize what is it that's causing men in particular to use their power to harm their partners. And almost always as these ebbs and flows of <clears throat> interests and thoughts and theories come out, low self-esteem and insecurity rise to the top. But as you reflect and interact with the population itself, the individuals that are using power and control, you often find folks who have a very high view of self. And it is the, in fact that very pride that bolsters, manifests, and uh, is like gasoline on a fire to the insecurities of life. When you add all the pressure of trying to control another person, trying to maintain the facade, trying to maintain your reputation, of course insecurity will be manifest. Of course insecurity will be central. But to simply confront that to, by saying you need to love yourself more or you need to be more confident may work in some cases, some situations of individuals who are struggling with generalized anxiety or with despair or other problems that are, that are real and they need real attention. But when it comes to abuse, and individuals using their power to control, we do not need to confirm these suspicions of loving yourself more and being more confident because they are already present to evil degrees. What we need is what the Bible calls sober-mindedness, a proper view of who we are. And if we claim to be a follower of Jesus, that has to include our identity in him, our calling to serve, our surrender to Christ, our respect for the image of God, our love for his sovereignty, not our own. Hopefully this has made a little bit of sense. And again, I bring it up because I've seen these, these two theories popping up from time to time. And I think what, what we would say is that violence and abuse begins in the heart of a person. And at the heart of that um, beginning, of the, the root of that is pride itself. And we need to properly divine self, the, define self by contrasting with Christ. We obviously talk about that. I mentioned it earlier. We spend a great deal of time in Men of Peace contrasting our current beliefs and motivations with the mind of Christ in Philippians chapter 2 because the mind of Christ does not produce demeaning, destructive behavior. It does not produce selfish, self-centered motivation. In fact, um, the mind of Christ, the humility, produces instead proper godly motivations, like what we would find in 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, I do all for the glory of God. Or 2 Corinthians 5.9, I make it my goal to please him, whether I'm at home in the body or away from it. Those new godly motivations should produce godly behavior consistent with what we already know to be the fruit of the Spirit's work, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. 
So my prayer is for you, listener, as you continue to help people, it's if you're a people helper, is that you will address the real heart of abuse, that will continue to hold high the standard that Jesus gives us. Oh, we're not opposed to addressing insecurity in people that are fearful. We're not <clears throat> suggesting that we don't help people understand their identity in Christ. But in this particular work, working with abusers, we want to continue to uh, wave the flag that this is the work of pride at the heart of an individual who has remained self-centered and they need surrender. They need to accept responsibility for their behavior and surrender to the work of Christ if they want to see real lasting change. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us on the PeaceWorks podcast. I'm uh, just excited again to be back behind the microphone. My hope is that this podcast was helpful. Uh, if you would be willing, uh, head on over. If you're listening to us uh, on Google Play or Apple Podcasts, head on over and give us a review and a rating. Uh, we would love a five-star rating or review just letting us know how we've served you and be sure to recommend the podcast to others. Uh, again, thank you so much for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast family. And until next time, God bless.